0: Welcome to Naturally Nourished, a food is medicine podcast that delivers cutting-edge information and solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought out by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. And should not be used in place of any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from a licensed health professional. Now, welcome your host, Allie Miller, integrative dietitian and owner of Naturally Nourished, and her vice president, integrative dietitian Carly Vogler.
1: Hey everyone, Allie Miller here. Joined with me is Carly. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 37 Redefining Your Relationship with Food. How are you doing, Carly? I'm good. How are you? Good. I hesitated. Calling you Carly Vogler, and oh, <laughs> I think only one more episode yes. <laughs> until you're married. I'll to get used to that. You're I know. Of the ball. I was thinking of that. I'm like, how many marketing changes will we have to make? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to figure. You're how,
2: so far ahead of me. That <laughs> going
1: forward, but um, yeah. So we are embarking on some dynamic changes. Carly's wedding and at the end of the year. It is December fifteenth here in Houston when we are recording, and I think that the holidays plays a lot of a role with the emotional pieces of food. There's a lot of nostalgia. There is a lot of favorite dishes and we think of certain family members that prepare certain things. And we also tend to as we've discussed in an earlier episode on holiday weight gain, overindulge during the holiday season. So today, I really want to talk about redefining your relationship with food. I think so many of our podcasts go into various disease states and the functional food elements or, you know, with functional medicine, we're talking about the root cause of chronic conditions. So certain foods that help to replete a micronutrient deficiency or reduce inflammation. And we don't dig as much into addiction, lifestyle elements, guilt, um, and the role that food plays in our day-to-day basis, the how to eat, I
2: guess. Right. I'd say we definitely have episodes on optimal eating and healthy snacking, but today we really want to switch gears and focus more on the role of food in your day-to-day lives or the emotional connection or theoretical connection so this is just more of a how do you think about food and what is the emotional response we kind of want to towards the end share our stories too so hopefully everyone can connect to at least one piece of of this podcast
1: absolutely and i think that's the the clients as we work with them you know the first unfortunately it can take over three sessions of working together until we really start to even nick this level of the surface I would say you know because it's so results oriented and we're getting their labs and we're talking about these dynamic changes and especially if they're doing like an elimination diet it's all of these um, rules I guess or guidelines or strategy um, or even if it's optimal eating it's carb protein ratio and 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 it takes a while to really get into the relationship elements but that's the sustainability factor of long-term successful outcomes with using food as medicine.
2: Absolutely. I think we're so much fact collecting and really trying to get them on a plan. But I think it was my third session with a client yesterday and all of a sudden I was like, just tell me more, more about your day. Like yeah. what's your schedule like? What when do you think about food? And when you think about food where do you think of getting it from and that kind of thing? And
1: are you happy eating this way? Do you feel fulfilled or does it feel like a diet? And I think that's the the biggest difference. Yes, we are registered dietitians, but we are looking at creating, again, the sustainable lifestyle change. And that means that you have to find joy and fulfillment within your day-to-day eating rituals. It can't be a one plus two equals three type of approach because that's going to lead to that human error of desire and, and um, fallibility.
2: Absolutely. So Ali, redefine your relationship with food is your mantra that you came up with for your private practice, Naturally Nourished. How did that come about? Where did, how did that get created for you?
1: So I think I started using it a lot Uh, when I was running a physician's practice group. um, I was the director of the functional medicine or, or integrative medicine department for her lifestyle change, which was dealing with a lot of dysmetabolic patients. And it was an insurance model, and it was in a different... Area of Houston where we had a huge range of income, um, but but a lot of lower income population, and so people would come with me to see me uh, for free um, or for their copay. So they were maybe coming for $0 upwards of $30 and um, you know they were pretty There, there's always we say you have to meet your client with where they're at so they were motivated to change they had had family members that maybe were on dialysis or had died from diabetic complications and or cancer and so they they understood the role that diet and lifestyle could play in disease uh, progression and and wanted to defeat disease or, or at least prevent and treat with food but they weren't really fully into the qualitative pieces and and that's what was really an important piece for me, because it's where a lot of my passion stemmed from. So I would first, you know, make a move of maybe eliminating the big gulp to pulling out soda completely and working with LaCroix sparkling water and talking about the role of carbs uh, in their day-to-day function. So, you know, identifying that 15 grams of carbs equals a visual slice of bread. And at that meal, you may have had 15 slices of bread and helping to really create these visual connections and cues. And we would do things like maybe trade out, their um, sweetened breakfast cereals and milk and banana for a Jimmy Dean breakfast sausage um, patty with bun because that was a 30 carb to 20 gram of protein ratio so the macros were better than 95 grams of carbs to 2 grams of protein maybe of what they were eating in their other choices and so that was the first step and I felt that it was a necessary step for glucose management or blood sugar regulation but i didn't feel that a they still wanted and craved sugar And B, I also didn't feel like they were really redefining their relationship with food because they still weren't eating real foods. Um, So then I would have to take it to the next level and talk about, now let's identify the ingredients in this product. So once you master your carb to protein ratio, let's look at that inch rule of if there's more than an inch of ingredients. It just happened to me recently where a client was like, hey, I gave up this ingredient and now I traded it out for the soy delicious creamer. And it's like, well, I'd much prefer you just do whole cream it's a single ingredient so this redefining is is first identifying you know what is a whole food and then how that plays a role in your body understanding the macronutrient piece and um, then digging even deeper into the sustainability factor of developing a relationship with the food and and the food's grower and and the dynamics of the environmental elements and the um, sustainability factors
2: I think that's such a good point. It's so important to be realistic with yourself. Um, You know, you have to walk before you run. And so there's so many people that would be overwhelmed if we just had one spiel about you have to buy organic farmer's market or you're not doing yourself a favor. I think people would say, forget you, this is just, this is too much. But if you start with replacing one thing at a time, take one step at a time, over a year, you can make so many changes. So I, I think let's talk a little bit more about creating that connection with your clients. How how do you bring them along in this journey of going from Jimmy Dean to you know a, a, kale, frittata. <laughs> a, a kale frittata? <laughs>
1: so I think the first thing is. is um, as far as the the relationship with the client is establishing what their hook is and understanding what their likes are and their flavor profiles and and then understanding their limitations and boundaries. Um, So if time is a limitation versus finances, um, that can be treated in a different way than if finances are a limitation over time. Um, You know, so often we're recommending eating seasonally or locally, and that can be more affordable, but that also can pose Financial restrictions, and some clients have to use frozen vegetables. Let's say, um, and, and that's a reasonable option. So it's always establishing the, the limitations. I think are important to determine with your client and with yourself as an individual. If you're listening, um, you know, versus a practitioner listening, think about what are the limitations for you for healthy eating, and then how we can work on the areas that are not as limited in expanding and optimizing, and so if we're talking about the quality factor, the closest to the source is going to be the highest quality. So we talk about this with the question of what is a real food. You know, that example, I'm not going to harp on you with the baby carrots to the carrots with the greens intact, but buying from your farmer's market, um, one thing that I encourage clients to do and we offer at our practice is joining a CSA or community supported agriculture um, share. Um, CSA shares are available throughout the country and it's great because you give money direct to the farmer that helps the farmer to plan their crops and their yield and you get a diverse share so you don't get in a food rut. Um, you find yourself really challenged by things like kohlrabi or French breakfast radishes or... I was going
2: to say radishes. I'm having a hard time (laughs) with those.
1: We were just talking about those. Brady's avocado toast is is a good way to do that. But yeah, you know, there's um, a great way to to redefine your relationship with food by produce, excuse me, diversity. And produce diversity by getting close to the hands that field it. That's a different element of the word relationship and really fostering a personal relationship with your food the story of your food I guess you know from seed to plate how it got there and the process the seasons the sunshine the rain that's a piece of a relationship with your food that is so different from a sterilized packaged food product and I think that that's this connection that is so nourishing beyond any known or studied antioxidant you know or micronutrient um, there's something very just kind of soul satisfying and satiating about about that connection
2: absolutely and so you've talked a lot about local coffee shops and fair trade and the slow food movement these are all things that people might have heard but don't really understand Um, Can you just talk a little bit about what those mean to you and how they're important in this connection? Yeah,
1: so one way, whenever I'm dining out, I'm always searching um, farm-to-table connections. I like to look for restaurants that list their purveyors, um, so whether they're local ranchers and or uh, produce growers or like here we have some cheesemongers, the dairy maids, and um, local sourced or quality artisanal sourced foods and food products are really a way that I drive with making food decision because I feel, again, it's that that way of voting with my dollar. It creates that... Um, connection that to me creates the kind of shiny, warm, <laughs> fuzzy feeling that I'm doing something to invest not only in the environment, but the, the food system. And, you know, when we're talking about holding on to, to whole foods as much as possible, that's a really important element to me. Um, we continue to see the processed food industry always nicking at the heels of this. You know, I mean, it started with Subway taking the rubber chemical out of their bread and, and Snapple three years ago when they started saying, Oh, what is their phrase? They said something about, they used to have something about the good stuff or keeping all the good stuff in. And they said, and we took some of that other stuff out when they took out their high fructose oh, corn syrup. Wow. And so, you know, there's a lot of marketing changes. Yo played at a big marketing campaign a couple years ago when they took out their artificial food colorings. And so, Um, The food industry is catching on to natural food movements, and and it's interesting that we have to go backwards in um, industrialized standards, back to single production versus more chemical application, going backwards and, and less innovative to get to real foods, which is more nourishing. Um, but even beyond that, I like to look at the community piece because that uh, really ensures that not only, like I said, fair wages for the farmers, but that your food has a story. And I think that that plays a huge role. And the same thing being said of you know buying a loaf of bread versus making it. Michael Pollan has um, such a relationship with his new book Cooked and his uh, series that he did on Netflix of, again, that piece of what is the story of this, you know? um, He did an episode on bread and it was these... Um, women, um, I can't. I don't know what religion. I believe they were like uh, some form of a nun, and they had these yeast, sourdough, wild yeast cultures that they were keeping for hundreds of years. And it's like that's that's just so amazing to me. That, that story, that relationship,
2: has resonated with me. And just every time I look at bread, it just have a little bit of a different perspective now. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> and, and evil I, that and I always call it. I was going to say, I
1: think that's a, another thing is that staunch element of black and white relationships with food. If bread is bad. Um, You know, I I am someone that, especially now post Stella, post my C-section, I do not do well with um, gluten. Um, In fact, I had one indulgence since uh, in these last six months and I, I described it to Carly like there was a scalpel scraping the insides of my gut and I had even taken enzymes and tried to, and it's that, that's that human piece of, you know, what is my, that, that learning curve was, okay, this is no longer something I desire. It's not a a. Um, prohibited food it's not that don't look and then I want to turn my head Um, when something is a bad food that you crave it more it's it's that this food does not feel good in my body and so I can redirect and fulfill and satiate that craving in other ways
2: and on that bread subject I had a client who just moved here from Italy and I had to have a really heartbreaking conversation with him about how bread is not evil the bread that you ate homemade in Italy is just not the same kind of bread that's on the shelves here. This is the
1: hybridized short dwarf wheat, right, with the higher gliadin and... Doesn't
2: go bad on the shelf and is stripped and refined so anyway it's it's a perspective and it's yeah that that episode has really opened my eyes and I think that's a really good point that it's not black and white very few things are black and white
1: right and so the relationship going back to if you can identify the grower or the individual that played a role you know that artisan element um, that that's more of a story and that's more of a real food And, and relationship with food I think that's the first piece that I'm looking for is that community relationship or the relationship with the producer the grower and that's the connection to a whole food
2: so you've mentioned that the relationship is one thing what is another way that you'd say that you've re that you've used the phrase redefine your relationship with food because I think that can mean a couple different things to different people yeah
1: so I think the other one is I think going into maybe that dichotomous thought pattern of all or nothing and um, I this really came to light, I, I've seen really fabulous outcomes and people like numbers and I like numbers, I'm not gonna lie. You know, I, I think following a macronutrient balanced plan is a key to optimal health and understanding the role of carbs, protein and fat and how to eat them in combination to balance your blood sugar levels, maintain satiety and boost your metabolism is, is really important. But then there's that line of rigidity within that and again, when you segregate from Following a rule and not eating a real food, I think, is is where I'd want you to, again, redefine your relationship with food. And the first way that I would think of this in light is with our ketosis weight loss group. Um, so the ketosis diet, which we, we talk about in a couple different episodes, is one in which you eat no carbohydrates. Um only getting carbohydrates from residual sources of things like nuts or avocado which are really classified as fats Um, and so in the ketosis diet one of the beautiful outcomes of why I agreed to have this program at my practice was that it was a therapeutic diet beyond a weight loss group because I'm really into the idea of weight loss as being a pleasant side effect of food as medicine or as pleasant side effect of redefining your relationship with food it's not the end-all be-all focus because it's typically not sustainable and that's why a weight loss industry is multi-billion dollar because you keep falling off getting back on and it's kind of this constant turn um wheel so when i'm talking about with the the ketosis diet group and they're eating no carbs um The beauty that I see with successful outcomes is that true breakup and isolation of the removal of sugar from their diet for at least a six week period of time or greater. And you know, we say it takes at least 30 days to really make a dynamic lifestyle change or habit. And I love hearing clients say to me, oh my gosh, I never thought a raw almond was sweet until I did the ketogenic diet and now I am just tickled by eating raw almonds or I had a quarter cup of raspberries in my Greek yogurt with cinnamon and I no longer need honey or stevia or you know fill-in-the-blank sweetener. Um, and tang and bitter and alkaloid types of flavor profiles become more palatable typically when we redefine that dynamic of what foods taste like when our palate kind of adjusts. Um, And those are the positives. The negative I see within this is when we're trying to trick the body and do a keto-friendly dessert um, where we're putting a quarter cup of xylitol, uh, sugar alcohols, or um, the stevia, or the mung fruit, or I mean, there's so many other um, non-caloric Uh, non-nutritive sweeteners so they're these replacements that still give us that taste of sweet which to me only perpetuates the craving and the feedback mechanism that I want sweet I desire sweet sweet is good and and again to me I don't feel that that really segregates and breaks up with sugar or the the evils that come with sugar because it creates perpetual craving for this is a reward this is good Um, And so I recently saw a keto eggnog. And I mean, all eggnog in theory should be keto. Um, We just made some over the weekend. And I have a stress-busting smoothie, which is very, I'm sorry, a stress-busting steamer. I also have a stress-busting smoothie. But the stress-busting steamer is a take on this where we take egg yolks. um, And they're whisked in with heavy, full-fat cream. And then we add different seasonings. We actually add ashwagandha root to that. But you can add cinnamon and nutmeg and cardamom. And that is a high-fat, low-carb blend. And it's very satiating. You can even add a little bit of vanilla bean or vanilla extract. Um, But this one had a quarter cup of of xylitol on it. And I remember just thinking, wow, like that does not allow the palate or the individual's taste buds to redefine what sweet is because they're constantly anticipating and desiring this very, very sweet thing.
2: I agree. I I take a little bit of a different stance than Allie. I think that when you're making such a big change and you're used to eating a lot of sugar, I like to encourage clients to use stevia as a tool um, that's temporary. I always tell them why it'd be ideal to not have it, but I also sometimes feel like I'm (laughs) taking away so many other things in the ketogenic program that I'm like, "If if this is not doable and you're having insane cravings, I would rather you have a couple drops of stevia than to fall go off. have some cookies. Right, right, right. right. So I, I try to be more flexible. I personally have used it in my transition, so I can see how it was helpful for me, but I can also see how it doesn't allow you to completely break free from the sugar, so. Right,
1: right, and, and, and yeah, I mean, to clarify again, I wouldn't put that in an all or nothing either where it's like, no, never. Um, I think it is, it's a tool, right? But um, it doesn't allow that that connection of thinking less sweet foods are sweet because then you're constantly anticipating this excessive strength. Sure. And I think the other thing we see with the, one of the other negatives of just being on this thought process of a, of a lower carb diet is then throwing packages of Oscar Mayer bacon into things and doing bacon lasagna. And I mean, we've done an episode in the defense of bacon. So I am a girl that likes bacon, um, but I am all about pasture-raised sources. And, and bacon is a high-fat protein, um, and it has its place. And just because even if it is pasture-raised and and antibiotic and hormone-free and those pigs are smiling and eating acorns, (laughs) it doesn't mean that you need to eat a pound of it in one sitting. Um, That's likely not a health food at that juncture. And so using it as a highlight, using it as a way to eat with your Brussels sprouts or as a... Um, nourishment or to satiate a craving, all good. But again, um, going that all or nothing route, I think of as bacon is good, I'm going to eat a ton of it. <laughs> I think that's where we need to, again, redefine our relationship with food and, and kind of recalibrate, if you will.
2: I think that's a, a great idea because clients come to us and they've heard so many different, you know, different um, approaches and ideas and facts that they think are facts that are just competing and they just want to know what is right and what is wrong. And that's probably one of the hardest things that we do is we can't really clarify always and say, well, yes or no, it's it's situational, it depends. And I think that makes people frustrated sometimes because they just want to follow rules and they just want to be sure that they're being healthy.
1: And again, I think it's a, a step on your line. So this phrase, you know, I hate to go back and forth with it, but it's it's vague because it's a dynamic it's a when you're redefining your relationship with food it means that you're changing it's a process it's, it's not a end-all be-all and so in the beginning tools like I said tracking your macros writing down your intake all of that is really important for feedback mechanism of I feel this when this happens or I see weight loss when I eat this way or I perform better on my spin class when I eat this for breakfast. And so it's these connections of data or, or our response within our body to what we're consuming. So I think like tracking is great for that reason. And then there's also a transition as we redefine our relationship with food of does tracking become too neurotic where it's all or nothing and we want to have a cheat day. Um, and then I think that creates the dynamic of, of falling off or again desiring something of what is not the typical or the norm for you. And the next step in redefining would be going towards more food freedom of, of that relationship where guilt and desire are not, um, you know, Equilateral, I guess you know you can you can have desire without guilt, um, and I think that's that that next
2: phase of that lifestyle shift. Definitely. Um, so I, what I want to kind of do is towards the end of this episode, just talk a little bit and share our stories because I think we've had parallel stories but very different aspects. Yeah. Um, and because we're at, at we're coming to a similar place, I've learned a lot from you, but I think we started in different places. So I just want to kind of share with people. The personal evolution of our food relationships.
1: Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> in a nutshell, right? <laughs> um, so, I when I started really getting into food, it was the sustainability um, movement. It was, I think, more political um, it was more kind of like hippie natural pieces that I was trying to connect with farmers and get into growing your food and within that I got connected with PETA and went vegan and that's I had a very staunch relationship with and I didn't even from the outside I can see that it didn't it, it did not align because you it's very difficult to have a very sustainable diet when you're eating earth balanced margarine you know but i was in such a mindset that well this is vegan it has my little v with the little plant leaf on it that's an acceptable food that's what i'm eating and so i was very, very label oriented in if it was vegan, it was a good food. Um, if it was not, it was not a good food. Um, and so that, that, was, that was a rule or law of absolutes, if you will. And I think in doing so with that staunch um, vegan rule, I lost out on that connection that I initially got into it all, the sustainability, because I was – eating again my earth balance tub which was probably coming with those 32 ingredients from various countries and then packaged in one place shipped to another place and then sold at my my uh, grocery store um, and probably manufactured a year prior to consumption whereas the way I was living in Washington I could literally buy butter that was churned down the road so I was missing out on that relationship and that connection due to I guess food rules so I had some professors that Uh, drew light to that and I started to um, be aware of this and then when I personally discovered nutritional deficiencies. Um, I was, my autoimmune disease was flaring, I think because the excess soy in my diet, um, and the role on my thyroid. And, um, I was doing a lot of gluten as well. I was even eating like vital wheat gluten protein, the seitan stuff, which is literally gluten (laughs) in a meat analog form. Um, yeah. And so my, my autoimmune disease was the worst it had ever been um i was getting weekly acupuncture i was seeing a naturopath and my ferritin or iron stores were at like a two Um, and the range is supposed to be 30 into the over hundreds and um i was confronted with okay you have to already take these four supplements and you know we have you on this algae fish oil but we prefer you take the epa dha from fish and or incorporate wild salmon because you're in seattle and um you know then for iron you'd be getting your heme source you could take an iron supplement again or here's food sources so i started to incorporate egg yolks and then wild fish and then um, i incorporated grass-fed beef and i started to really focus at that time i started feeling significantly better i would say like a three month turnaround substantially better more grounded changes in emotions um, my autoimmune flares were reducing And then I got really macro-obsessed as far as like carb to protein um, because I started to realize, oh, I feel so much better if I get more of like a one-to-one or a two-to-one carb to protein relationship. And I was swapping out my excess of quinoa and all of these grains um, and bringing in some proteins and then switching out beds of greens. And um, I got pretty rigid with my macronutrient focus for the next couple years that then I would allow a cheat day. Um, And so I would, you know, even on Monday, be planning what I was going to indulge in on that Saturday cheat day. And I think that that was a point with my personal relationship with food. When I understood the connection of nourishment on my body, I understood the balance of macronutrients. But I still had that dynamic of this that food's quote-unquote bad. I can't have it, so I have to compartmentalize it to this one sacred cheat day, and then I'm going to just go buck wild. Um, and I would literally, I would, I would on Monday, I remember stressful days driving home from work being like, on Saturday, I'm making a reservation, and I'm going to have a flatbread, and I'm going to have a brownie Sunday or whatever. Um, and so that happened for a while too. And, and then um, I transitioned further, I think, where I started to really work with, because the next day would be like this hangover. Um, of just feeling like total garbage and and I would question to myself, you know, why am I? And I even would tell clients, it's okay to do 80-20, eat perfect 80%, 20%. This is sustainable. This is a way to not feel like you're too rigid. But I personally was experiencing a lot of fatigue, a lot of uh, pain, and um, like I said, a food hangover those days following, and just crumminess, um, and not really even sure why I was giving myself the quote unquote permission to fall off, if you will. So I started to dig deeper into nutritional sweeteners and really understanding and identifying my cravings. And now I try to incorporate, um, which is one of my kind of other coined terms, a mindful indulgence every day. Um, without having to go that hog wild off the wall um, cheat day Um, and I find that that's much more sustainable for me and I find that the more freedom I give myself um, in the definition of an indulgence it could be a piece of Theo's dark chocolate Um, it could be a special tea it could be um, an extra two slices of bacon Um, going back to my bacon thing but you know it's an indulgence it's something that I feel is uh, still nourishing, well-sourced, connected with my community, if you will, but it may not be in this optimal macronutrient balance. Um, And I find that the more that I allow that, the less that I need that. Um, So it might be truffled Gouda cheese that I'm going to eat with um, some some slices of apple and that's going to be a protein and a healthy fat and it works in my day to day, but it has that indulgence. So I feel satiated and it's that beyond normal food craving satisfaction.
2: So for all you vegans out there, Allie did it too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I tend to call myself a recovering vegan and with no disrespect, but I I do feel that um, that diet is just really not sustainable. Um, And and so I, I do work with a lot of clients in the transition process.
2: Definitely. And to share my story a little bit, I'm going to start off by saying that I'm constantly still redefining my relationship with food, I think mostly because I've, well, different stages of life, but also trying to address some different health things, some hormonal balance and digestive issues that have gotten me to find keto as of recently, but I'll, I'll back up and kind of give you a macroscopic view of kind of where I started. I started growing up when I thought I was eating healthier than all my friends because I came, I got a packed lunch every single day. My mom made me breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Every single dinner was homemade and different. But homemade now is different than what it was then. I would have those croissants, you know, from a little can or whatever they pop open from the fridge, Um, canned green beans, baked chicken, but it was coated in maybe some flour and it was definitely not organic chicken so i am so much more beyond that now but to me that was homemade and that was made with love and that was not frozen and it wasn't pizza so at that point i was winning um, and i was an athlete but the older i got probably around high school with hormonal shifts i started to gain weight i was constantly exhausted and my digestion was just terrible constipation bloats um, I didn't realize it yet, but I was constantly the new thing was everyone would say, "Oh, everything makes Carly's stomach hurt." In hindsight, it was pretty much wheat, but I didn't know which was in everything. So it's in been everything, a true. <laughs> exactly. So being a, an athlete and going to a Division One school in college, I cared so much about figuring it out because I wasn't at my peak performance. You can get away with it in high school, but once you go to college, you better figure it out. So I'll never forget sitting down with a dietitian at Yale and thinking top school in the world this has to be like such a huge opportunity for me and she talked me through eating dairy and a piece of toast with peanut butter and I just <laughs> I just felt so deflated because I if, if Yale couldn't provide really like, I've tried all that <laughs> yes I was like then where do I go so and I'm I was, sure
1: it was 1,200 calories, you know, and that, that it was a plan to lose sure. weight and to balance your body. You have to
2: eat less, Carly. <laughs> okay. Um, so then I wound up discovering my first naturopath and did a detox and a food elimination and found out I had all these intolerances. So I was doing no wheat and low carb and finally dropped all this weight. And it was the first time I had felt like myself in years. So from then on, I've just been completely changed. Um, But it evolved from then. I started to do more research. The more research I found, the more I found out about how disgusting meat was. So I think this is a natural progression where you have that shock value and you're like, that's it. I'm not eating meat. So I did vegan and I did vegetarian. And then I realized that there's no way I could do that. And, you know, it was actually when I moved to Texas and Ali's converted a lot of people, I found Allie and I started to learn about how there actually is good meat out there. And of course, being so relieved, I jumped right back on board. So now I'm eating meat. I think I ordered a grass fed kimchi burger
1: without a bun. Do you I remember think you a that bite moment? of it? Yeah, I think, wow. it, I think it was at Downhouse. Because so you were special. like, you eat beef. And I was like, yeah, it's grass fed. Check it out. Blah, blah, blah. Look at they get from um, yep. this ranch. And um, so I remember exciting. you being like,
2: what? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I give her full credit. And so then I started to care about sourcing and organic food, which I didn't know anything about before. And since then it's gotten more and more, I guess, complicated based on my labs that I've gotten back. And now I'm about to get married next month. So clearly a very result oriented, trying to build muscle and lean out. And keto has helped my digestion and my hormones, I think so much. But Since June, since I got engaged, I've really been working towards a certain physique. And I've told Ali recently, I can't just, I just can't wait to eat more balanced again. (laughs) Like, I'm just, I can't wait to have blueberries and, sweet potatoes do you know how badly I crave a sweet potato with olive oil and sea salt like I dream about it but that's also a beautiful thing in that those are my indulgences now I was gonna say right that's a a great picture in that whole scope
1: of redefining your relationship with food because you're craving something that's very nourishing and single ingredient and you know could be seasonal local yep um and, and so right versus the birthday cake frosting or whatever, which you know may sing to nostalgia, but at the end of the day there's something internally that says, I really don't want that, I want that. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, I, I often think about what actually makes my mouth water, um, which sounds weird, but it, I really have like a, a physiological relationship shift when I envision different foods. And there is still an ongoing mental desire. It is so nasty and ingrained as far as food addiction goes for some of these really processed, crappy foods. We mm-hmm. we were in the mall with um, Stella, and uh, I rarely go to the mall. And I was walking by that Annie's pretzel stand, and you know that margarine butter-like spread. <laughs> there is a smell that it it brings these these brain waves of cravings, but. I don't satiate to that. I I don't. I don't actually get the sal. Sorry, not satiate. I don't salivate to that. I don't get that. That you know, real, true, innate desire. But but my brain is like, ooh, I remember what that tasted like. Right. Darn, that smells
2: good. I know.
1: It's interesting.
2: (laughs) And I have to say, I've gone through a lot of. I tend. My personality is a little bit all or nothing. So I still struggle to find that balance because I feel so good in keto, but that's pretty strict. And I, I do feel that I'm missing a lot of antioxidants and food as medicine benefits from other foods, but it, it makes me feel like I'm on a plan. And I've always been a fan of someone that's on a plan. Yeah. So it, it's constantly changing for me, but in a good way, I'd say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And 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 probably continuing to, to liberalize, would you say, even further, more
2: freedom? Sure. I hope so.
1: <laughs> and I, I think that that's one of the misconceptions often is that a food plan can allow freedom. And that's a part of this concept as well of redefining your relationship with food is, you know, is, what does is food serve in your, in your body? So I think, you know, before, with closing thoughts, I wanna talk about some tips um, that Carly, maybe you share and I share with clients on building a healthy relationship with food. And, and one of them is um, really working with the client on how does this make you feel? Um, you know how do you feel prior during and post consumption of grandma's chocolate chip cookie how about how do you feel prior during and post a chips ahoy chocolate chip cookie chances are there's going to be a variance Um, they're both a chocolate chip cookie they might have the same amount of grams of carbs they might have the same amount of calories but and, and then, furthermore, there might be a difference of the types of ingredients that Grandma's using nowadays versus later, right, or back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's gonna be a different feeling, um, and there could be an actual physiological feeling of maybe a reaction to an ingredient. There can be a nostalgia feeling. There can be, a, and it's really defining what that piece plays in your day to day and how that's allowed and, and the rhythm and the balance that that creates, so that you don't feel that need of well. I had one, now I need to complete the whole role because that was bad, and I'm guilted, and I'm naughty, and I'm a fat person, and kind of going into that negative thought turmoil.
2: Definitely. I think another good one is to give yourself credit. I think especially females are so hard on themselves, and I had one client who typically will just gain so much weight during the holidays, and she came in, I would say around October, end of October, November for the first time, and she has maintained, even though her goal is to lose weight, she has maintained through what her husband just had surgery and she has crazy work schedule and she's just so hard on herself and says, I I knew you'd weigh me today and I didn't lose any weight. And I said, whoa, 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 back up. This is huge. You told me that this is typically a season of weight gain and you said you've been in control and you, you know that you haven't made progress, but you have to give yourself credit. Um, And once you stop being so hard on yourself and focus on the positive, then you're more encouraged versus discouraged because it's really easy to just toss it in the bucket when you're trying to make changes.
1: Right, and and identifying non-scale victories. you know, So, oh, you're sleeping better, and you've said that your mood is more stable. Um, So I think those are all really important to to think of as well when you're trying to make a a dynamic change within the diet. Another thing that I look at is – satiating cravings of course with real food so if you have a hankering for xyz what can you put it on so if it's truffle salt does it have to be truffle parmesan french fries or could it be truffle salt on uh, heirloom tiny pop popcorn that you're going to cook in coconut oil and you can portion control and have three cups for only 15 grams of carbs and that's just as nourishing and it doesn't have any trans fats. And, you know, so there's, there's ways to satiate cravings and understand it's actually the truffle and the salty crunchy I want. Mm-hmm. And this is a more nourishing option. And then I'm good and I can put grass-fed butter on that and that's going to hold me over. And then I think not looking to fill the void chronically but to try to understand what that void is. So does that occur in the evening? Is it because you had a stressful day what other things can you do? Is it meditation? Is it a warm bath? Is it lighting a candle? Is it, um, you know, taking a hot shower with essential oils? Do you need to have more sex? You know, what do you need to do to fill the void that creates that fullness within you that you're otherwise replacing with food?
2: I love that idea. One of my favorites is just tell me what it is you struggle with, and let's come up with something to mimic that, but has benefits versus being deleterious. So. I always suggest, you know, especially with kids, they have to be over a certain age to have nuts, of course, but the chicken nuggets. Mm -hmm. My favorite redo, I think my mom made this one up or she found it somewhere and I use it to this day, is taking chicken tenders and dipping them in some egg and then dipping them in some almond flour. You can even use oat flour that's seasoned with some sea salt. And then you freeze them on cookie sheets. Once they're frozen, you can pop them in a bag, and you've got dinner ready to cook when you come home. So you just pop them out of the bag, put them in the oven, and that's a chicken tender. They can dip it in marinara sauce, which is the tomatoes and the lycopene and the vitamin C, and it's you made it. It's not what like the chicken nuggets of what is that? I'd still love to know what right. that is. I know <laughs> it's not chicken.
1: <laughs> right, right. So yeah, always a way that to understand even if it is a direct food craving, how you can replace that with more nourishment and getting connected to a whole food i think is a big big piece of that how you can upgrade that and um, then understanding like you said the why the craving is there and, and other lifestyle alternatives so hopefully we've given you all some food for thought if you will um, you know like i said we have other episodes our second episode is on optimal eating we do one on busy snacking for a healthy um, lifestyle Um, as far as techniques and tips and more food ideas one of the best resources is the Naturally Nourished Cookbook which has over a hundred different recipes and food as medicine information Um, and so we hope that you will check that out and share that with your friends and family and join us on the Ongoing dynamic redefining of our relationships with food and um, yours as well. And I think that the best outcome is a relationship that yields sustainability within yourself as far as not ups and downs but something that feels even keeled and ongoing as well as one that satiates cravings and one that you enjoy um, because that's going to keep you in it for the long haul
2: thank you so much for tuning in we would absolutely love if you could review us on itunes if you've been enjoying this podcast so we know that you like it and we'll keep on going
1: yes all right guys till next time